Hello and welcome to our Bible study this week. Uh, we are in 2 Kings, the 21st chapter, as we come to the end of, uh, of 2 Kings. And uh, we're going to be, we've covered a lot of time. You know, we've, we've been covering hundreds of years uh, just in this section that we've been going on. And when we get to the end, we're going to kind of reflect back on, give you kind of a timeline of how all of this has occurred and where a lot of the other books of the Bible fit in during this time. This is kind of like a lot of the prophets that you read in the Old Testament were guys who were prophesying during this time of these kings since King David up through now, warning them, God was speaking to them to stop doing what they were doing. And God warned them over and over and over and over again. And we'll take a look at that and kind of give us some perspective once we get through. We're almost to the end. But uh, we just finished reading in chapter 21 about Manasseh. As, as horrible as these kings had been before, uh, in fact, the, the tribes of uh, Israel, the ten tribes, became so wicked, God has already destroyed them and sent them into captivity. That's why they're referred to as the lost tribes. Uh, the, only, uh, the southern kingdom has been left, which is primarily uh, Judah. And, uh, um, and now they're doing the same thing, constantly rebelling against God. And this uh, Manasseh was horrible sacrificing his own child uh, in, in ritual sacrifice and uh, violent. And the Bible says that, we read this last week now, how he was more evil. Israel had become more evil. The, 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 the people of God had become more evil than the people that he had driven out of the land when he first sent them in. And it just got out of control and God had had it. And now judgment is going to come. Uh, so anyway, Manasseh dies. Then his son, in verse 19... Amon, uh, he was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for only two years. Uh, his mother's name was Meshuth, whatever, daughter of Haruz. She was from Jatba. Now, Ammon did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. And he walked in all the ways of his father. He worshipped the idols his father had worshipped. He bowed down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Well, Ammon's officials, the reason he only served for two years, is Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. And then the people of the land killed all those who had plotted against him, and then they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Okay? As for the other events of Ammon's life, blah, 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 blah. So now chapter 22. Josiah now is eight years old when he became king. It's interesting to uh, read some uh, guys who are saying, well, you know, he probably wasn't eight. Maybe he was 18. It's a typo or something. But in reality, the guy was 22 when he, Ammon was 22 when he became king. 24 when he was killed. Uh, let's say it took a year or two for the people to find the conspirators and kill them and, and then finally put everything in place. Well, then easily the kid is only eight years old. I mean, and uh, Ammon had to have fathered him when he's about 17 or 18 years of age, which would not have been unusual at all. So, you know, it's unlikely the guy was 18 when he became king if his dad was 24 when he died. Do the math for crying out loud. Of course, some think that he was delayed becoming king for all those years. Again, that doesn't make sense because they would make a child a king. They would not leave that vacuum. So anyway, the kid's eight years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And his mother's name was Jedidah, uh, Jedida, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bazkath. 
Anyway, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. About the best thing for this kid is that his dad died when he was just a boy. So the poison from that father was not passed on to him. And this kid did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside left or to the right. Now when they say father David, obviously his father was Ammon, but talking about great-grandfather David. Okay. Um, So now in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, and by the way, it's interesting to me uh, how every once in a while one of these kings would pop up who did right in the eyes of God. And I'm thinking, where did they get that from? It doesn't say. It's pretty fascinating. Because if everybody's so filthy, wicked, and your dad was wicked, and grandpa was even worse, and they're all a big mess, how do you all of a sudden get this and start having a heart towards God? But every once in a while we would see this. And this is the case of Josiah. He's the last uh, guy, as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure the last guy who did anything right as a king before God. So at, at the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary... Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of whatever, blah, 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 to the temple of the Lord. So he sends this guy, he's a secretary, goes into the temple of the Lord, and he says, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. In other words, pretty pretty broad uh, trust. But they were very faithful men. And they said, don't, don't get crazy about it. Give them the money. Let them do the work. They know what to do. We can trust these guys. So he sends uh, Shaphan, the secretary, to basically go do the business of the temple. The business of, of uh, the kingdom. Well, uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, says to Shaphan, the secretary, hey, I found this book, the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Now stop and think about this. Again, fascinating when they say that these guys would turn to the Lord and they would honor God. Um, They had to be doing it at a very fundamental level, very basic level, because by this point, Remember, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have been going by. We've been reading this very quick. It sounds like, you know, just it all happened in a compressed amount of time. Now, we've really, we've really gone through some serious uh, time here. In fact, uh, we're just getting ready to where um, uh, the uh, Babylonians are going to come in and take them off into, into captivity. They're going to be in captivity for only 70 years. But it really jerked the slack out of them. Then they came back. And then we're talking like there are five, four hundred years before Jesus comes. I mean, we've really covered a lot of time now in, in this thing. Uh, so it had been a long time. And throughout all this time, they'd gotten away from the Bible. They, they hadn't really been into uh, the Word. Again, so it's interesting to me when it says that they, they serve God and they worship God. What exactly they were doing, I don't know. But he had a heart toward God. And this high priest, and he's a priest, so I don't know what they thought. I mean, they, I'll explain it in a minute. But I mean, it's kind of bizarre. You have priests doing some kind of priestly activity that they learned through tradition and worship God as far as they knew the tradition. But they'd gotten far from God's word. And this priest who's doing priestly acts and stuff says to, to the secretary who comes to do this work, he says, hey, I, I found this book 
I found this, but what he found was the Bible. The, 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 the books of Moses. And uh, so he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him. And he basically starts out as a business report. Uh, your, face, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord. And we've entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. And then, as after he got done giving basically the, the business report, uh, he hits on this point. He says, and then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. You know, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Wow. And Shaphan read it uh, from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, and he heard what Moses had said and how God had delivered the people and what rules they were supposed to follow and the warnings of getting away from God and the judgment that would come and how God had given him all the land. And when he heard the real facts, he tore his robes. Middle Eastern culture, very dramatic when they would get upset. And he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Uh, Achaim, son of Shaphan, Akabor, blah, blah, bunch of guys. And he basically says in verse 13, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord, Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. He says God has to, got to be really ticked because he, he knew what his dad and what grandpa, grandpa was the most horrible king of all, what these guys had been like and how far they were and had drifted from the word of God. And he basically says you need to go find a, a prophet somewhere. And ask God, what, what do we do? Because he was shocked to hear this. Now, let me, let me give you a context for, for how this happens. And uh, the best analogy I can give is uh, my own personal experience being raised as a Catholic. Now, this is not a slam on Catholics. We don't go around to slamming Catholics or anybody else. Uh, you know, I use the analogy because it's the world that I came from. A lot of guys, uh, as you uh, also from that thing, some of you might have been Lutherans, whatever, more traditional uh, church backgrounds uh, will kind of relate to this. But one of the things, you know, obviously we're not Catholic, so there's differences. And one of the differences in evangelical Christianity, the kind of church that we have, we encourage people. We preach from the Bible, encourage you, read the Bible yourself, really learn about it. But in very traditional churches like Catholicism and stuff like that, and, and some of you will know this, you were raised in it, but you never read the Bible. And you never knew what the Bible said about anything. You went to Mass. You prayed. You worshipped. You did the different rituals and stuff like that. All as a result of tradition that had been handed down. But had never actually read the Bible for yourself. In fact, now they've changed quite a bit in recent time. But when I was growing up, uh, they actually discouraged people. From reading the Bible. They didn't want you to read the Bible. I'll just confuse you. We, we got it all figured out, you know. Uh, so we just stayed in our traditions and stuff like that. And I remember when I first started getting serious about my faith and, and reading the Bible, as many of you, you're kind of shocked. You were shocked. You're going, what? I didn't know the Bible said that. Uh, why? Because some of the traditions we had learned, again, it's not just to slam them, but seriously, the, the, and it's not just Catholics, there's a lot of mainline churches that have done this, the, their traditions become more important to them than the Bible. And they actually start doing things that, quite frankly, are unbiblical. 
and we won't get into them all and stuff about it, but you guys know what I'm talking about. When you start reading the Bible and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, how come they never told us this? Well, why are we doing this? There's, there's not, that's not even in the Bible. Why are we doing this? And of course, <laughs> again, why they don't like you reading the Bible sometimes. But it's like it's eye-opening to you. And that's what had happened here. These guys had become religious in a sense that they had enough tradition that they still had a high priest and stuff and how accurately he was following the Bible, who knows. But I'm sure there was some of it, but then some traditions, just like some of these mainline churches. They got, they got some things that are dead right on, good solid stuff, but then they got a bunch of stuff they just picked up along the way, stuff they made out, pulled out of their ears. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and they just added as part of their, and nobody questioned it, nobody challenges it, because nobody goes back to read the original script to see what God had said. And this is where they were at. And just like it's been a revelation for some of you who've come out of these backgrounds, when you start reading the Bible and go, wow, that's what's, what God's trying to say. That's the way we should behave in this situation. This is why we should do this. And that's why we shouldn't be doing some other things and stuff like that. Because you start coming alive spiritually as you get back to the basics and read the scriptures. And again, we encourage this. Uh, get the Bible in you. Uh, if you think I'm not doing something biblical, call me on it. Say, you know, the Bible says this. I, I don't know if you're doing this right. We can talk about it. But uh, we don't want to hide the real truth. Everything we do is based on this. And sometimes people kind of lose their way. And certainly uh, churches who run for hundreds and thousands of years often, oftentimes get lost their way because they get away from the main text. And that's exactly what these guys had done. So they start reading the book of the law, and they are mortified. And, and it's amazing. They just refer to it as, we found this book. I mean, it'd be, you know, because they didn't have printing presses and stuff like that. What's sad about us today is lots of people have the book. They don't read it. You know, they have it, you know, like a good luck charm, you know, on the table somewhere, or, you know, to ward off evil spirits or something. I don't know what they're thinking. But, you know, the sad thing for us today is we have it. And most people don't read it. Uh, but in their case, at least you can cut them some slack because there were no printing presses. There were just scrolls. Uh, not, not like everybody had copies of the Bible at home. So it became very, very rare. And they just stumbled across it and said, we found this book. And the one guy starts reading and goes, wow. Comes to the king, talks about business. And then he says, you know, we've the priest, he found this book. And he starts reading it to Josiah. And when he starts reading it, he is so upset because he realizes how far they had drifted from God's original intention. So he says to him, you know, go find a prophet. Man, we got to find what to do. What does God want us to do? I'm mortified by this. So verse 14, Hilkiah the priest, Achim, Akabor, Shaphan, Messiah, all these different guys. They went to speak and they found a prophet who was, good heavens, a woman, a prophetess. You don't see lots of this, but uh, here's a lady who is under the anointing in the power of God. Usually we see roles of prophets and stuff. Uh, usually they're men, but not exclusively men. And this is the Old Testament. This is back when women, you know, they were counted in the same category as sheep and cattle. You know, even in the New Testament, when the Bible says Jesus fed 5,000 men, they literally meant 5,000 men. And then they said, and there are also women and children, which you do the math on that, he could have been feeding 20,000 people. Why would they tell? Because that was just the culture of the day. It was Jesus, actually, who came and started lifting up 
the role of women. And when Paul wrote in the New Testament and said, there is no difference between man and woman, Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ. This was a major radical revelation that God, Jesus, anybody, you know, because the people who, who misinterpret the Bible and stuff, but some of these people who go around saying that Christianity oppresses women is absurd. Look at some of the other religions in the world. These are people who oppress women. Jesus lifts up women and values. And God has always been willing to bless whoever and use whoever, whomever, is open to God using them. And here we see this woman who is the prophet that they go to and who hears from God and speaks into their lives. So they go see this prophetess, Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Horus, keeper of the wardrobe. That was his job. He was the wardrobe guy. And his wife was this prophetess. And she lived in Jerusalem in the second district. Jerusalem broken into districts. Just kind of like cities are today as well. And uh, she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, referring to the king. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book, the king of Judah has read. And it was all that stuff that you read of threats of this is what's going to come your way if you don't behave yourselves. I'm bringing it on. It's not going to stop. Because they have forsaken me. And burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. You tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people. That they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and you wept in my presence. In other words, because you had a broken heart. You were sincere. Because you truly repented and listened to what I was talking about. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. And you will be buried in peace. In other words, basically saying, you won't go through this. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. And so... They took her answer back to the king. So God is saying, judgment is coming. I'm holding off. You know, at least you had a sincere heart towards me. You'll be in peace. God is incredibly patient, by the way. Clearly, we've seen this as we've gone through this hundreds of years of of all this stuff. Uh, So then chapter 23, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And then he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. (laughs) Talk about long preachers. Um, We're talking the books of uh, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers And Deuteronomy, these, you know, we've gone through this. It's taken us a year, I don't know how long we've been at this, of going through the books of the Old Testament here. He sat and called them together and then he read it to them and just read it aloud. And, uh, you know, wow, that's one long sermon, man. So um, he, he wanted them to hear 
the words of God. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. They basically all renewed themselves to God. Okay, then Josiah goes on a terror and uh, he went through and started destroying, as we've seen other kings do, all the temples of Baal and all these false prophets. I mean, when he, when he got it right, he wanted it right that we're going to honor God. Uh, and he can follow through. What's great about this guy is uh, he could have easily said, well, God said you'll die in peace. Well, God had already spoken to him just because he was sincere in heart. And that would have been the end of it. Uh, but he followed through. Even though he'd already received the promise from God that he'd be okay, he followed through. And he didn't just settle for that. He went out and he wanted to make it right. And uh, we won't read these verses, but it's the same story we've read before. He goes through, he starts destroying everything uh, and freaking out, um, you know, all the people who've been worshiping the idols and stuff like that. Um, we can pick it up at verse 24. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spirits, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law, written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was the king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. Nevertheless, the Bible says, the Lord did not turn away from his, the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel. And I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said, there shall be my name. Uh, and then he says, as for the other events of Josiah, and all he did, blah, 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 blah. So judgment is coming. Then Jehoash becomes king of Judah, Jehoiakim is king of Judah, Jehoiakim, whatever is king of Judah, Zedekiah becomes uh, the king of Judah, and we get to the final chapter of 2 Kings. Now, uh, so in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, and all these guys were evil, and continued to shed innocent blood and violence, and I mean, they're just totally... Uh, being horrid. But again, lots of times passing here from one king, next generation to the next generation. We're burning up some clock. But God's wrath is coming. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth of month, so October 10th, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. And, uh, and actually, if you go back and look at it, uh, Babylon had been coming in waves. There were kind of like three uh, waves. Uh, I think the first wave, a lot of the nobles and stuff were taken away. Uh, in fact, many Bible scholars believe that's when uh, Daniel, remember Daniel and the, and the lion's den and stuff, and we'll take a look at some of that, uh, was no doubt taken in one of the early waves of, of, uh, into Babylon, uh, Babylonian captivity. But now comes the final thing, and it's, it's brutal. Uh, he encamped outside the city and, and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Zedekiah. 
So it starts in the ninth year, 10th, 11th, two years later, the whole time, for two years, the city is under siege. And we remember the one time that the city was under siege like this and people were eating each other's kids and stuff. I mean, you know, they're very quickly just going through this, but the horror of what is happening in the city and to the people is, is beyond uh, description. Uh, and when we do this thing, uh, as a summary, and I want to kind of put some of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament, we won't go through them all, but so you can kind of see the context and, and let you hear the warnings, they are very dire warnings. It, it just passes over in a few verses here, but we don't get it. This is brutal destruction of the nation. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe there was no food for the people to eat. They didn't get any much more detail than that, but you saw what happened in the previous uh, accounts when this happened. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king. So they, get, they breach, the army goes running. Um, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward Arabah, Araba, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated and sca- from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and their sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out his eyes. Which got a, you know, I don't know if they took a hot knife or whatever and just plucked your eyeballs out, man. I mean, whoa, nasty stuff. And they put him in bronze shackles, and they took him into Babylon. Wow, 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 wow. And then it just talks about how the uh, Babylonians came through and wiped out everything, uh, destroyed everything, destroyed the the walls around the city, uh, all this. Um, Verse 21, last half of verse 21. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. And this had happened to Israel. They became the lost tribes and and now the, Judah was taken into captivity and they were without their nation for uh, 70 years. And actually, this was the end of uh, Jewish uh, autonomy because the Babylonians took over and then uh, a bunch of other nations took over. And then when they came back, um, they came back, there were still other under other armies and uh, and this is where we read about Ezra and uh, Nehemiah and these guys who rebuilt the walls and again I'm going to do kind of a summary thing of the Old Testament because I don't, I don't want to read all these old prophets man holy moly it'll be brutal but just kind of highlight and go back and insert them in this timeline so you can kind of see uh, where, where these fit and, and some, some quotes from some of these guys so kind of get a sense of what a lot of the Old Testament about. A lot of this Old Testament that you read is directly all written during the time of these kings that we read, starting from David to this. That's what all the rest of this stuff is them, God dealing with them during this time. And uh, so uh, anyway, this is the, the end of their autonomy because even when Jesus came, by the time Jesus came, they were still under now Roman Empire rule. Until 70 years after the death of Christ when the Romans came through Jerusalem and completely wiped out uh, Jewish influence altogether again. And, uh, and Jews were scattered all over the world now uh, pretty much for the next 2,000 years. Uh, 
it wasn't until 1948 when after World War II that the Jews went back to Jerusalem and they became a sovereign nation again. All indications of fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That's why so many people believe that the end is very, very near. Um, you know, and according to God's timetable, near could be another 100 years, 200 years, which seems like a long time to us, but this is very, very near. This is not going to go much longer. Uh, Jesus is coming back. You don't have to worry about global warming. You know, it's going to happen 500 years from there. I don't think it's going to be any more 500 years. Uh, this whole thing's coming to a screeching halt, and, uh, and we'll be done with this. And uh, Judgment Day will come, new heavens, new earth. I don't know the day or the hour, neither do you or anyone else, but this thing is coming to an end. This was a major event when Jerusalem, the Jews came back and became a sovereign nation again. They had not been, this is just a few decades ago, they had not been a sovereign nation since this day, which is like 2,500 years ago. Stop and think about that. This is really rather amazing. They were scattered all over the world and hated all over the world. You know, you saw what Hitler tried to do to them. I mean, this this was a brutal Brutal long period of time for them. Uh, the good news about the captivity was it seemed to jerk the slack out of them. Uh, they got the message finally. As far as I know, uh, from this point on when they came back and started rebuilding the temple, they no longer struggled with worshiping false gods and idols and Satan worship. And, you know, all, all of that stopped. I mean... The good news is God loves you enough to kick the crap out of you if that's what it takes. God would rather not do that. I know I'd rather not have it done. My encouragement to you is listen to what we say. Listen to what the Bible says. Do the right things so God doesn't have to take you to the woodshed. But if need be, he will take people to the woodshed. That's why a lot of times you'll hear people's testimonies of... You know, what horrible things they went through, but they'll, they'll make phrases like, you know, but my life is better now than it ever was before. And as if, you know, you know, what they basically say is some good came out of it. And I'm sure it did. But God's goal has never been to have to see you do hard time in your personal life to get your head on straight. He'll do it to you if he has to. God did not want to do this. And you could see as we've read this, God just dragging his feet, dragging his feet, dragging his feet. And all these prophets, all these guys in this big chunk of the Bible throughout the whole, the big fat part of your book that you got. Is God sending these prophets, talking to them, reasoning with them, appealing to them. Stop it. But they would not listen. And then finally God wiped the whole thing out. But then it jerked the slack out of them. And when they came back and then about... 400 years later, 500 years later, a little girl by the name of Mary got a visit from an angel and said, you are going to give birth to a son and his name will be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. All right, God bless you guys. We will continue this uh, when I get back. Looking forward to it. See ya.